Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and I'm here today with Professor Sam Kassow to discuss the newly published In Those Nightmarish Days, the ghetto reportage of Peretz Obashinsky and Joseph Zelkovitz. Published by Yale University Press, the book is the 10th and final volume of the New Yiddish Library, a joint project of the Yiddish Book Center and the Fund for the Translation of Jewish Literature. Sam Kassow translated and co-edited the book with David Shukoff, and he provided the introduction. Welcome, Sam. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I wondered if you could share a bit about both how the work came to be, the archive, the writers, um, and how it was discovered. Well, uh, both Opachinsky and Zelkovich worked for secret or semi-secret ghetto archives. Uh, the uh, 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 Peretz Opachinsky uh, worked for the uh, Onik Shabbos archive, uh, which was organized by Emanuel Ringelblum, and uh, he wrote a lot of really terrific reportage, uh, and uh, this was discovered when the two parts of the archive were found after the war in 1946 and 1950. Uh, Joseph Selkovich worked for the large ghetto archive, and uh, uh, most and his uh, wartime writings were uh, also discovered after the war. Uh, neither Opachinsky nor Zelkovich uh, survived, uh, but because they were writing for organized archives, uh, these archives made a real effort to uh, ensure that uh, after the war, historians would write about the Jews on the basis of Jewish sources and not on the basis of uh, German sources. And a little bit about, well, like there were there were about 60, correct me if I'm wrong, about 60 different writers who were writing for the archives, is that correct? In the uh, Onik Shabbos archive in the Warsaw Ghetto, there were about 60 different people who were involved with various parts of the archive, and of those, only survived the war. In the large ghetto archive, there were about 15 people, and there was only one survivor. And how were they selected to write and to contribute to this? Uh, in the Onik Shabbos archive in the Warsaw Ghetto, Emanuel Ringelblum and a tiny group of trusted uh, uh, associates uh, co-opted uh, various people after they discussed uh, their qualifications and how trustworthy they were. Uh, in the large ghetto, uh, there was uh, an associate of Chaim Rumkowski's, Henrik Neftalin, uh, who was tasked, among other things, with organizing a ghetto, a ghetto archive. And uh, he uh, chose Joseph Selkovich. And then later he chose uh, Oscar Rosenfeld, Oscar Singer. Uh, and so the large ghetto archive was, you might say, less secret than the Onik Shabbos archive. And uh, it was known to Rumkowski, who was the, uh, up, who was the German-appointed leader of the Jews. But that said, uh, jo uh, Joseph Zelkovich, uh, wrote quite a lot, which was not really, which was not really censored. So what were the challenges to these writers in terms of reporting the story, and did they have to keep this secret? Uh, o 
Opachinsky uh, could write whatever he wanted because the writers in the Oynik Shabbos were told to write uh, as if uh, the war is going to end uh, tomorrow, uh, not to worry about anything. And the Oynik Shabbos went to incredible lengths to ensure secrecy. Uh, for example, uh, of the 60 people, only five or six knew at any one time where the actual documents were being kept. Uh, and so Opachinsky could write quite openly, and his writings reflected that, a lot of moral outrage, a lot of anger. He told things uh, the way they were. Uh, I think Zelkovich probably had to be a little bit more careful uh, Rumkowski never came into the archive. Uh, Rumkowski never asked to check, uh, read the documents, but they had to reckon with the possibility that he might. So one could speculate that that writing was a bit more careful. Uh, in Zalkovich's writings, uh, you don't see a lot of savage criticism of Rumkowski, uh, but it's there, mm -hmm. and uh, if you read between the lines. Yeah, I, I think it becomes more apparent the further into his writing you get. Yes. Towards yeah. the end, it was, uh, yeah, apparent. But both of them practice reportage, which means they really are reporting not so much, bringing their point of view into it. And I, they both have different backgrounds, um, and I wondered if you can talk a little bit about how you think that played out in their writing. Well, they both came from the same area. They both came from the Ludge area. They were born around the same time in the early 1890s. Uh, they were both religious. They, they both came from religious backgrounds. Uh, Opachinsky uh, joined a secular a political party, the right uh, labor Zionist, but to various degrees, he remained somewhat observant during his his life. Uh, Joseph Selkovich stopped being observant and joined a left-wing uh, political party. Uh, both had an excellent Jewish education. Uh, Joseph Selkovich actually uh, had ordination uh, as a rabbi uh, before he got really interested in, wrapped up in Jewish secular culture. But the bottom line was that they were both very, very Jewishly knowledgeable, and at the same time, uh, they were uh, very much involved in this great uh, uh, flowering of Yiddish uh, secular culture that took place in Poland, uh, both before World War I and in the interwar period. And both wrote in Yiddish. Both wrote in uh, Yiddish, although Opachinsky also wrote in uh, Hebrew. Uh, Zelkovich wrote in uh, Polish, uh, although most, uh, although Yiddish was the major language for both of them. Mm -hmm. And um, each each of these writers provides us with um, sort of an intimate day-to-day -day understanding of life in the ghettos, and. Neither of them sort of wrote about the experience with a real understanding of what was to come. As you say, you know, there was some thought that the war might end, um, but you, you know, having the ability to look back in time, we know so much more. And I'm wondering what 
you can tell us about the importance of this kind of reportage in terms of our understanding all these many years later? Well, this reportage is really important precisely because it's written in real time. Uh, Emmanuel Ringelblum was very, very clear about the difference between real-time testimony uh, written by people who don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, uh, who are still who are members of a community that is under great stress but is not yet destroyed, uh, people who can't foresee what the Germans are, are going to do. There's a real difference between that kind of uh, reportage testimony writing and then the writing of people who survived the war who are looking back, uh, who are looking at things through the prism of uh, their experiences in the concentration camps. One of the most important differences is that in both Opachinsky's reportage and in Zelkovich's reportage, you're reading about the ghetto. The ghetto is not a concentration camp. Mm -hmm. It's still a Jewish community. Uh, it's not yet destroyed. There's still uh, uh, a real uh, continuity uh, between uh, the pre-war society and the wartime society. You still feel the gravitational pull of pre-war values, uh, pre-war culture. Uh, the ghetto, on the other hand, is in many ways warped, it's uh, distorted, it's uh, grotesque. Uh, what's going on in the ghetto requires new concepts, new language to, uh, to uh, describe it. Uh, the reportage it, it tries to find those uh, appropriate expressions, that appropriate language. Zelkovich was actually working on an encyclopedia of the Lodge ghetto, which cataloged how the Yiddish language was changing uh, in, in order to describe what was going on in the ghetto. Uh, Opachinsky was also very much aware of the need to provide up-to-date uh, uh, recording of how, as Jewish society changed, people changed and the language itself changed. But this was being done in real time. This was not being done by somebody who'd survived the war, knew it, knew what happened, and was looking back. Those people who wrote after the war uh, and who knew what follow, what 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 the Germans uh, did to the Jews in uh, the ghettos, they tended willy nilly to change their idea of what the ghetto was. Instead of being a real community, instead of being a continuation of a pre-war community, the ghetto was seen in retrospect as a mere holding pen for the concentration camps or for the death camps. And Opachinsky and Zelkovich aren't doing that because they, 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 they simply don't know what's going to happen the next day. So this is writing that's very real, that's very immediate. Uh, it's... Uh, it's being reportage. It's not fiction. It is uh, using language in a very expressive way to uh, bring out emotions, to report on social relationships within the ghetto, to uh, highlight the microcosms of ghetto life, uh, the pillars of Jewish social life. Opachinsky's writing about uh, the ghetto post office being a ghetto mailman, about children in the ghetto, about about a house committee. Zelkovich is discussing the various interviews with different ghetto inhabitants that he conducted. 
uh, in order to see whether they qualified for welfare payments. And these are uh, brilliant uh, descriptions of case studies uh, of uh, particular Jews, particular families. Uh, but, uh, but, but all of this focuses on the immediate, on uh, the real. It's extremely descriptive. It captures the language. It captures the uh, the the uh, freshness of uh, the conversations. Uh, it's also very important because both both Opachinsky and Zelkovich are able to individualize these people instead of uh, dealing with a faceless, anonymous mass of ghetto inhabitants. These people have names. Mm -hmm. They have their own identities. They stand out for who they are. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was a remarkable read for me in that it it gave you um, an, such a deep understanding of what the everyday life was, the complexities that they all faced just in terms of, you know, um, the situation that they were in, but also their Jewish connections. Um, how do you address all of these different things? You had relationships of parents and children, neighbors and friends. I mean, it was just incredible to see what this was all about from these, you know, two perspectives. And I think one, um, you know, Obashinsky's, uh, um, it was interesting that you put all of that writing first and then the Zelkovitz second, because there was a definitely a different tone, I think, to the way they wrote about the experience. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and one being more observational in some ways um, as the mailman. But just um, a, a sense of what was going on there was um, really depicted so brilliantly in their writing, which is very fluid, as you say. Um, and I wonder what your thoughts were just in terms of this work in, in informing an understanding of the history and in teaching the history. Well, I think this kind of work will be a very good teaching tool. Uh, I think, uh, if, first of all, it's, it's written in an accessible way. Students can relate to it. Uh, they can write about particular, uh, particular uh, uh, examples uh, that Opachinsky and Zelkovich describe. Uh, it's a very good way of uh, developing empathy, of talking about the subtleties, uh, of ghetto society, the social conflicts. Uh, it uh, reflects something which you don't see much of in post-war writing, but which is very real in uh, wartime writing, which is a theme of Jewish anger directed against other Jews. Uh, in other words, the Germans don't really figure as saliently in these writings as you would think. I mean, the average Jew in the ghetto didn't see Germans that much. What they saw was other Jews. They saw Jewish police. They saw Jewish officials. Uh, and, and so uh, this kind of tension within uh, relationships between Jews, which kind of gets forgotten after the war, this is uh, described in a great deal of honesty and with a great deal of detail. On the other hand, if one reads carefully, one could also see uh, a, 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 a very layered uh, description of resistance as an everyday thing. That is, the resistance defined as uh, just trying to stay.
somehow maintain your human dignity. Yeah, I mean, you, you watch as it de-evolves through the entire book, and it is incredible. Um, the, well, the spirit with which all of this plays out um, and builds towards the end. Um, were you surprised as you worked through this writing in terms of translating it, what you were finding and what you were reading? Uh, I was, uh, I was not so much surprised as I was just really fascinated. Uh, and I, I mean, Opachinsky and Zelkovich each are talented writers in their own way. Uh, and, uh, I was just fascinated by their ability to, uh, to bring out detail and to convey the moods, the fears, the apprehensions, uh, the small triumphs of day-to-day ghetto life. <laughs> and, and, of course, one of the toughest uh, examples of Jewish wartime writing is Elkovich's minute-by-minute description of that terrible uh, week in September 1942, mm-hmm when they went house to house taking away children and taking away old people. And Zelkovich is giving you an incredible sense of that fear, that, that total helplessness, that sense of being absolutely trapped, of having no way out, and of knowing that uh, hour by hour, minute by minute, they're getting closer and closer. They're going to come into your building. They're going to come into your room. They're going to take away your child, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, that was, it was both hard to read, and it was an important story to read. Um, The way he describes it, as you say, you feel it from the point of view of those people who are living through it. It's just um, so strong. They were both, you know, as you say, really gifted writers um, who told us with, you know, an understanding of the situation and sort of a reporter's, I don't want to use the word detachment, but they told it so honestly in a way and true to the, the situation. Well, they were both uh, trained re- reporters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, were journalists before the war. Uh, they understood what a reporter was supposed to do. Uh, newspapers played a very important role in Polish Jewish life. Uh, before the war, reporters kind of decoded uh, Jewish society for other Jews. Uh, Hasidim and religious Jews would read about people they wouldn't ordinarily meet and vice versa. Uh, reporters talked about criminals, about uh, various uh, 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 cliques, various uh, groups in Jewish society which were secretive, and it made for entertaining reading. And then during the war, those same skills were put to use to explain and decode very important parts of Jewish uh, society and to uh, underscore the ironies, the, the, replicating, uh, the replicating ironies of ghetto life, uh, the irony of seeing Jewish uh, policemen, Jewish mailmen, mm-hmm which didn't exist before the war. Uh, Peretz uh modeling his irony on Sholem Aleichem, right. uh, uh, Muttel Pesi, the cantor's son. Uh, 
the irony of the fact that Jewish Warsaw uh, depended on uh, the Jewish underworld, that is, the, the smugglers and the pre-war criminals uh, who, who had the skills, as it were, to arrange the massive smuggling of food into the ghetto and thereby save the ghetto from starvation. Mm -hmm. uh, the irony of speculation, uh, which on the one hand reflected one's worst uh, instincts, uh, on which at the same time served a good uh, purpose. Uh, these reporta this reportage also underscores a very important fact that no two ghettos were alike. Each ghetto was a world unto itself. Uh, the Warsaw Ghetto was a very different ghetto from the Ludge Ghetto. Uh, it was much more open. Uh, it, you could you could smuggle things in. Uh, it was uh, there was an Aryan side uh, consisting of Poles who didn't particularly love Jews, but who hated the Germans and who were willing to trade with uh, Jews. And Opachinsky brings this out. The Ludge Ghetto was hermetically sealed. Uh, it was annexed into the German Reich. Uh, most of the people on the Aryan side were uh, Germans or ethnic Germans. And in the Ludge Ghetto, you depended on the food that you were, that you were allocated. Uh, the Ludge Ghetto was much more rigid. It was much more regimented, much more controlled. And all these differences are reflected in the different reportage. It's um, an incredibly important work um, and one that is well told. So I want to thank you for joining me today um, and for your work bringing this translation to readers um, who will find this compelling, informative, and important to read. Um, it really does give us new insights. So okay, thanks. Thank you. Um, appreciate okay. your being with us today, Sam. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye-bye. You've been listening to TuneIn, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. Our producer is Sarah Blakefeld. I'm Lisa Newman. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Mm -hmm.